0: What's up, everybody? It's Reggie Williams, founder and CEO of Ambrosia for Heads. And with me, I have Jake Payne, our editor-in-chief. And together, this is our What's the Headline podcast. We have a very special guest here to talk about his new album, The Realness 2. Cormega joins us. How you doing, man?
1: Peace and love, guys. Everything's good over here.
0: That's dope. So you and Jake go back, right? Y'all go back decades now. Yeah, Jake's
1: my man. Me and Jake go back, man. It's my guy. Every time I do a project, or even before the project's even done, I I give Jake a holler. And uh, yeah, it's been decades.
2: Coming up on 20 years, man, and that relationship truly means a lot to me. Uh, You know, sometimes it's it's an artist and a journalist, but uh, truly, I consider you a friend, man. And I really am happy for the season that you're in with this album. Thank you, my brother. Likewise, likewise. So I wanted to, uh, we kind of are going to ask you some questions about the album in sequence. And I think that Once and For All is a great place to begin. I mean, that's a declaration song. And it's it's just the right intro for the realness, too.
3: Mm.
2: On it, you rap, I accept my pur- purpose, blessings and curses. It's just one of the many great lines on there, Mega. But as far as music, what would you say Cormega's purpose has been? Oof.
1: I think my purpose has been to speak my truths, to give light to people that are in a dark place, give motivation to people that lack motivation. Um, I think my transparency is a blueprint for others in their personal life as well as artists. So that's, you know, I see, that's what I see my purpose as it's bigger than just rap. So it's like uh, the fan interaction and the, and the dialogue that I have with people show me the impact that I've had on them. You know, I've met people that named their kid after me, like there's kids named Quomega in this world. I'm like, wow. So it's like, that's, that's beautiful. And that's really eye-opening. So I see my purpose.
2: I like that. I mean, and where in the recording process did you make Once and for All? Because you know, it's more than just an intro. I feel like it's a pace car for the whole album. That's very well
1: put. Um, it set the tone for the album. Um, I don't remember when I when I uh, recorded to that. It was. Uh, it wasn't one of the first songs. It, it was uh, maybe it was like a little more than midway through. Um, it was a challenge because the first realness, that intro was so energetic and it was like, it was a moment. So this album, I said, I got to have the right beat to set the tone for this album. And that beat was it. As soon as I heard it, as soon as Domingo played that for me, I said, "Uh uh-oh, I knew, I knew what it was. You know what I'm saying? So... That was beautiful.
0: On Essentials, you say, I could give you jewels to survive, but you would rather wear jewels to shine. A chain is burnished mm-hmm. to foolish minds. Mm-hmm. You drop jewels throughout the entire album. You know, I, I just got gems. I'm going to just keep dropping them because I think it's so important to pull them out. But why is it important for you to use your music to spread wisdom?
1: Um, That's legacy. Your legacy will outlast you. Um... And the legacy you leave behind is going to be able to benefit other people if it's a legacy of of wisdom or some legacy of knowledge, not just entertaining people. So, also, when I I drop knowledge in rhymes and music, I'm just carrying on a tradition that was instilled in me by Shannon. Brock, Kim, Kane, and Tila Rock, Chuck D, Cool G Rap, you know, Slick Rick, those guys spoke to me uh, when I didn't have that male figure in my life that that I needed to give me certain knowledge. They gave it to me um, unknowingly, so it'd be those moments that, those moments I would separate a rapper from a lyricist or an entertainer from a poet or somebody that has bars from somebody that's deep. So I think dropping jewels is is something that I was destined to do, something that I was meant to do because sometimes I'll say something and and it's just natural. It just, it's almost like it spills out of my, it's like the thought spills out of me. It's not premeditated. It's not, written, it's not thought about. just say something and then it just becomes something that people gravitate towards to, towards even like certain interviews I'll do, I might say something and then I'll see it trending the thing that I said to quote and it wasn't that serious to me, it's just I'm just speaking my truth so dropping knowledge and dropping gems on this album was very important to me because at this point I'm a man, I'm a full man and this is, my knowledge is my representation of me. So when I drop jewels, you're getting me. And this is the first album where I feel like I'm just giving you me, just me. No no interruptions, no inter, no conflict, no nothing. It's just me. So knowledge, dropping gems is what I do. That's what I want to do. That's what I want to be known for. And also the impact that it has on other people inspires me to do it more. You know what I'm saying? Like when I meet fans, I've met fans with my, some of my quotes tattooed on them and you know that impact that you have on people with words it really shows you who you are and that's the difference between you know uh that's the difference between a rapper and a lyricist you know so dropping jewels is is what it's my obligation at this point
2: Mm. i like that obligation yeah. yeah Um, you know, you talk about the fans, and I've gotten to see it live a few times, and one of your most beloved songs from the original Realness was American Beauty, and mm. that, that's track two on that album. Um, yeah. On track two on the Realness 2, you have a song called Her Name, and it seems to me that Her Name is a sequel to American Beauty, and either way, in any case, I'm curious to know you know, how your perception of hip-hop has changed in the roughly 20 years between writing those two songs?
1: American Beauty. When I wrote that, I was uh, I was being creative. I thought it was cool. And it meant something to me. But as years went, I seen how much it meant to, to the listeners. And I seen how important the song was from, from going outside of myself. And looking from a different lens and with this album i wanted it to be a true sequel and i didn't want to cheat the fans i didn't want to just say this the realness too and just give you a whole bunch of songs that have nothing to do with the realness so that's not consistent especially with the realness being so popular of an album that album is like you said if you've been a quote mega show that album is inescapable it's like I could do the whole album of the realness and don't even perform no other songs and people will be fine with that. So the realness was a challenge to to make the sequel. And in making a sequel, I said, I had to listen to some of the strong songs from that album that meant a lot to people and and carry on. And being that American Beauty was me speaking about hip hop, I had to do a, a sequel to that because hip hop is my life. So her name was born from that. And um, the production on that is one of my favorite produced. The production on that, I came and it feels like an orchestra. You know, it's cinematic. It's just beautiful. That's one of my favorite produced songs on the album.
0: Hmm. So, you know, one of the lines you have on that song is, "ungrateful to those who helped raise you. And, you know, we're entering into the 50th year of hip hop. You know, the anniversary is coming up. There's a lot of sensitivity. We're already seeing it around the origins of hip-hop. You know, who was involved. We got articles, you know, um, you know talking about, like, different factions who were involved, um, you know, when it started and who the founders are. Mm-hmm. What, how do you think about the legacy of hip-hop and how it began?
1: Um, I really don't give it... I don't give it too much thought, to be honest with you. I don't give it too much thought about how it began. I give more thought to where it's taking us to where it's at. Um, how it began, a lot of people take credit. And I don't know where it began or who I don't know. I know Cool Herc played a role in it, uh, and some other contributors, but you know, as I dig deeper and, and as I, you know, get more acclimated with it or get more um knowledge of certain things, you got people like DJ Hollywood who's doing this early seventies, you know what I'm saying there's other people uh I've seen people speak about its origins. you gotta understand hip hop is just a name rap rapping is something that's been done and uh it's been done in the black community since not even just New York I'm talking about you could go on YouTube you pull up old footage of people rapping in the Mm thirties.
3: What
1: what Muhammad Ali did was rap. Mm -hmm. If you listen to Muhammad Ali, he was rapping. He just didn't have a beat. It wasn't a beat to it. It wasn't organized. It's sort of like seeing two people fight back in the days. And now they call it a mixed martial arts. You know, it's my man, Karate Joe, he knows how to box. He knew how to wrestle, he knew how to do karate, obviously. You know, he was doing mixed martial arts, but we didn't have a name for it. Mm-hmm. Now we call it mixed martial arts. So now they'll say he does MMA. Back then there wasn't a title for it. So I've seen footage of I've seen footage of elderly black people from the South rapping mm-hmm. from the 40s and stuff like that. I'm talking about this footage is black and white. So where did it start? You know, I think, I don't know where it started. I know as far as it being hip hop and as far as it being organized, you know, we got to give the Bronx credit. But as, as far as hip hop advancement, I think every borough contributed to the point where it benefited the whole culture because if people travel from different boroughs to go to park jams or to see shows and you travel from Brooklyn to this place and you see them do it it inspires you. Oh, you go back excited. Like, Oh man, I could do this. You come, you come from Queens to this borough and you see them doing it. It inspires you. You come from Harlem to this borough and you see how people do it. That's how culture, that's how culture grows. So I'm not concerned with, with all of that. The be- most beautiful thing about it is where we're at now. Mm. Like, where we're at where when hip hop began, there was so much diversity in society, period, like it was a point where different races didn't even embrace different kind of music like like- like most of the white people just listened to rock and roll at one point, and black people listened to that, and different people now we're all together, so now it's like that's one of the most beautiful things hip hop has given me friends of every race and creed from around the world. There's people that have my phone number in England, Spain, uh, uh, all over America, like different countries that are my friends. Like, you know, my man Eton in, in California, you know, he's like, he's a white guy, but he's my brother. Like, he knows my kids. Jake, Jake, ironically, you know, I'm like, I'm close to Jake. Like that's my guy. Like if he's sick, I, I'd be concerned. I'd contact him. Like, you know, sometimes we talk just to talk. It, it it doesn't have to be about marketing a project. Like, you know, he's the type of, he's my friend. Like if I'm thinking of something and I think it's beneficial to, to me and, and me and I want somebody big involved, sometimes I'll contact him and see if he wants to be in. So it's like hip hop look where it's brought us. When when I'm a Ram Nas, you know, look what look like that's one of my friends. He's a superstar. You know what I'm saying? And and rap changed his life. Mm-hmm. So most of the people that I know him know him as a rapper. I know him as a human being. So me seeing that transition, me seeing that transition of habit, me seeing that transition of like Marlies, or me seeing like, you know, I'm on my fourth passport right now. So when we talk about hip hop, we talk about like, like I'm about to drop, I'm about to do a collaboration with a brand called Privilege. It's a Japanese brand. And and I'm gonna have jeans with my name on it, not Kormaga either, Corey. Mm. So hip hop, where it started, who cares? I don't care no more where it started, as long as we respect the, I'm all about respecting the foundation, respect the architects, but I don't care. I'm just thankful that it's here. And I don't know who planted the seed, but I will definitely try to maintain the garden.
3: Mm.
2: I really, uh, firstly, let me tell you, I really appreciate what you said there. Um, Secondly, you gave a perfect segue because earlier you'd mentioned, you know, the place that you're in in life right now and not being in a place where there's any controversy. And over the last 19, 20 years, you know, whether, even if I didn't bring it up, I think a lot of times we spoke about relationships of people that you grew up with. And one of those people, of course was Nas. And that's what makes, in addition to just great beats and rhymes, rhymes and beats, Gloria is such a huge record on the realness too. Mm. There's, a, there's a lot of history, you know, to this song and your relationship. And in listening to it, it feels like a conversation with your younger selves as a brotherhood, the word you just used, brother. Is that accurate? Wow, that was, that was well said.
1: I, I kinda wanna agree. It just felt like a long, not even long, very long overdue moment for us as artists, for us as Man, for us as brothers, for us as friends, it felt like it was something that the fans wanted so bad, and some thought it would never come to this. And when we got to that moment, I mean, the song—that's why we call it glorious. That it was nothing else. That that—that's the best title for it. I played the song for. I've seen a grown man start crying when I played that record because he has so much love for both of us as a fan, and it's like wow. Or oh, I've seen people saying, "I got goosebumps on my arms." Or this song—it's like the impact that that song has had on people really made me proud, and it, it really makes me see. You have to be able to step outside of yourself and 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 know. Uh, where you was wrong and where you was right. And sometimes I feel like at this point now, I feel like I'm glad I don't let uh, pride, pride will deprive you of moments. So back in the days, we probably could have been did it. Maybe it was my pride, maybe it was his. We'll never know, but it's not that important right now. What's, What's important now is that the love is, is is restored. Um like from a real place. Like we don't even have to do music. That's my boy. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, 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 like like it's always been. Like we're closer now than we've been in in, in you know what I'm saying a very long time. Like there's been times we was cool and we just wouldn't speak in years. And now, you know, I give him a space too, because he's a very busy dude. But we speak more often. Like I was just with him what last week and it was just laughs and good energies. Like, you no. Know? So it's like that song was like, that song is a reflection of, of brotherhood, like you said, and where we're at. And an and, and, uh, important thing about that song is the compatibility, the verbal compatibility. It wasn't like a, we just fit together so well. It wasn't like a, you know, usually when you hear rap, it's like, oh, you know, Nobody was trying to outdo each other, none of that. It just felt right. So that that moment, it's like you take a beautiful moment, a perfect moment, and you bottle it up. If you could bottle up a perfect moment and put it in a
2: song, that would be that. Hmm. You know, 2020 was such a, you know, I don't have to tell anyone, it was such a crazy year. And, you know, in the first three or four months of the pandemic, we got a gift, and that gift was King's disease. And one of the biggest gifts within that Grammy award winning album was full circle. And, you know, I remember Reggie and I texting each other hours after the album was out and just stunned with so many things about that song. But I remember we both agreed, you know, your verse stole the show, you know, great, great song. Everyone brought their A game and to hear Dre and all of that, like, but I got to ask you, it was the perfect title. And for you, you know, What did that mean in terms of of adding a new chapter to what you said earlier of legacy and just hip-hop period of no longer, you know, having to deal with that? Either one of you, all of you rather, you know?
1: It felt perfect. It felt beautiful. Um, To be honest with
3: you, that me and
1: him, Putting our differences aside was more important than anything to me at that moment. And then when we did the song, it just felt so right. And it was a mature record. You know, a lot of people expected this to be, you know, you see the firm, you want lyrics and spitting and da-da-da-da. But you know, that song was just a mature vibe. It felt good, it felt perfect. It it was crazy how it's like the world stood still when that song came out. It's like the internet froze. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? like everybody just stopped in their tracks, and then the expectations grew and 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 people got excited, so that was beautiful to see that power that we have when we come together as a collective and um yeah, that's a moment that i'm that I'm always gonna cherish and actually, you know we won a Grammy for that song i gotta i gotta uh pick up my Grammy. I never got my Grammy yet, but I will work on that but um yeah. most importantly is I picked up where I left off with my brother, so. Mm-hmm if uh, I don't need a Grammy, you know what I'm saying? A lot of times me and him talking and, and I say unconditional love, you know what I'm saying? And he knows what it is because like, I'm not here. I, I, I'm i not, uh, I'm not your friend when you're successful, your friend, because you're a star, you know, I have friends that have nothing and I love them. You know, I have friends that are incarcerated and I love them. I have friends that are, uh uh, you know, different walks of life. Whatever walk of life you're in, I, I'm walking with you.
2: You know, I'm a big believer of energy. And I know I got the sense just in our conversation, you know, even before August of 2020 or June of summer of 2020, that you were in a, a great place in life, just beyond music, but with music too. But I got to ask, like, you know, you share this moment with the public. Does that affect the, the, the charting of the course of the realness too? Like that joy, that brotherhood, that happiness, that sense of full circle maturity, do you take that and, and do anything different? Does that steer the course differently?
1: Um, I think th- the place I'm at in life, I'm in a different place, but with the realness realness offered me a different challenge because now all right now I'm more I'm wise I'm more mature and 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 I'm at peace the realness had a chip on my shoulder I was one foot in the street one foot in the studio I was a different beast so the challenge was can you replicate that energy because some people say I like the mad, I like the angry or the energy. I like that beast mega, when you like that. Like it's something that, you know, that energy, that Montana, can you channel that? So some people thought that I couldn't replicate that. And
3: quite simply is,
1: have you ever seen a wolf in a circus? I don't think so. Exactly. Because it's hard to domesticate them. So if you see me chilling, because so, so you never see the wolf in the in the circus because they're not really going for it. They 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 move how they move. But you might see a wolf in the in the wilderness and they might give you a pass if they just ate or if they're in a good place. If they're content, they'll give you a pass. And that's how I am in life. So it's like finding peace, the greatest power that you can have is over yourself, not over others. So self-control takes more effort than let letting loose. So um, some of the music that I was writing back in the days was reflective of my lifestyle or things I've been through, but I've been through so much. I could write five more albums just off of what I've been through and it'll still hit you different than 80 to 90% of the rappers that be talking now because my stuff is real. Um, I'm from a real place. Um. Even when I walk around, you you barely ever see me with an entourage or or things of that nature. I, I I walk alone amongst the people, but I have people. Um. So, the challenge for this album was: can you replicate that? You know what I'm saying? Can you replicate some of that energy? So I took the challenge, and I think. I think I've uh, I think I've done a great job at at bringing whatever it is the realness was. I think I've done a great job of bringing that to the forefront now at this phase of my life for part two. I think this is a perfect follow up to it.
0: Yeah, you know, I could not agree more. You know, and one of the lines that jumped out me on, to me on Life and Rhymes was "Money talks." Many rap lyrics are counterfeit. Mm-hmm. That was a heavy, heavy bar for me. You know, can you talk about the role that the industry, or maybe even just commercial success, plays in pushing artists to falsify their content?
1: I think um, I think falsified content comes from chasing ambition more than they chasing passion. You hear everybody saying, "Chase the bag, chase the bag." What if the bag's empty? Mm. If you take a plastic bag and you put it in the wind, <laughs> it's move. Cool. But when you so if you chase that bag and you get to it, there's nothing in it but wind, it's air. So the bag you chasing, I always tell people, especially my young guys, don't chase the bag, chase your dream. The bag's attached to your dream. Some of the things that we want to do sound crazy to people until we do it. And in life, the things that we want to do, we have to stop being scared of doing the things that we want to do, the things that drive us, can change our life. When I first was rapping, were people in my family I was like, don't do that. Or like, you know, remember at one point, the media media controls perception. And at one point, the media was like, hip hop is a fad. It's going to eventually die out. It's going to die out like breakdancing did. So when they're talking like that, when they're in the media, then you got businesses that's scared to invest in it because they listen to that. They're like, well, they're saying that's a, a fad. It's not, it's not feasible. Why should we invest in it? Um, so I had people trying to steer me from doing that. Often people will have visions or have ambitions. And especially when you're in the hood, those neighborhoods, whenever you're trying to do something good, it's ridiculed. When you do something bad, you're you looked at as a hero. So it's like, you say you want to be a cook, somebody might have a joke until your restaurant open up. You say you're going to make it to the NBA one day, everybody got jokes until you actually make it. You want to be a rapper, um, you know, people didn't believe in it. Now you got people blowing up being rappers. I think, I think sometimes money, money shouldn't give you a, a, a Money might get you a seat in the audience, but it shouldn't get you a place on the stage or it shouldn't get you a voice in the creation. So once corporations started coming in and giving money, then they started slowly but surely telling you what to say. No, how about do it like this? No, we want a record like this or do this or do that. So now it's like it got to a point where people emulate success, no matter what genre it is in the industry, people emulate success. When Star Wars came out, they made Buck Rogers and, and all these all these other movies. When Gary Coleman was the hottest little dude, they made Webster when, you know, whenever there's something there's gonna be an emulation of it. So people see the success of street rappers. You got people like Snoop Dogg that became superstars. Uh, but he was really speaking about his culture. That that crip lifestyle is really his culture. And, you know, Tupac's, you know, uh, some people seem to forget. Like, some at one point, there were some people that didn't realize who Tupac was. They was like, they was thinking, oh, uh, he was in that movie Juice, and he started acting like that. But it's like, bro, this man was born in jail. His mother is a Black activist. He was militant since he was a baby. Mm. And he grew up in so many different environments. I've, I've heard stories about him from the Bay and different places. Even when he was in New York, he used to be with some of the thorough street dudes. So it's like, when these people blow up, people emulate success. When 50 Cent blew up, you notice how many people started working out after that? All of <laughs> every rapper look like Blue Ferrigno now. People- <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Like, just because y'all got muscle doesn't mean y'all going to blow up. 50 Cent blew up because he was the total package. He had everything. But he had the desire and ambition, too. He would put out a mixtape every month. You know what I'm saying? And not just put out a mixtape, because anybody could do that. He put out good mixtapes. He was putting out good music. He was controversial. He had violated management. He had amazing production. He was making great songs. He, he He had a formula. And when he came on, he blew up and everybody started working out. Um, you know, you got women that, that, that rap and they might be a little, they give off a, a sex, you know, a sex image or a sexy image or whatever. Now all the women want to dress like that. So it's like uh, success breeds imitation. Mm-hmm. And that's the problem. So now you got all these guys um, claiming that they were drug dealers and everybody claiming that they are tough so when you put that out there you're inviting that kind of energy and a lot of people weren't drug dealers just because somebody gave you a pack doesn't make you a drug dealer you was a peddler you wasn't getting weight the feds wasn't looking at you you know what i'm saying so it's like these narratives people give up these narratives because they uh they think is it's, it's going to get them success and i myself i laugh at it when i see rap when i see rappers getting into canada easy i'll be like okay i really can't i don't want to hear too much gangster <laughs> stuff from them you know what i'm saying if you would get into canada easy that means you you have because canada is the strictest place that's why you laugh because you know canada is strict as hell if you I got stopped at the border. You'd have thought I had a bomb on me or something. Like They didn't let me in. It's twice I went to Canada and they literally sent me home. Literally I had to go back and I got in Like I had to go to the embassy and all kind of stuff to get in. One time I had a show with Um Sheik Looch and they stopped me and him at the border. I was there for long. They stopped Sheik too. He was there and then let him go and then after that, Sheik and everybody waited for me. You know what I'm saying? Matter of fact, they went to their hotel because I, I was there for hours and hours. So it's like so when I see all these gangster rappers, kingpin, killer rappers, oh yeah, I got a show in Canada, and they get right in, I don't, I don't take them serious no more. So it's like, moral story is, success breeds imitation. Everybody ain't what they say they are. And the funniest thing is, the people that really was doing stuff in the street, they barely would talk about it. When I used to talk about stuff, some of the stuff, look how things were different and I was younger. It was a different day. I wasn't able to get uh incriminated by my by my lyrics back then. Uh there wasn't cameras all over the place. There wasn't feds doing Rico cases on artists back then. It's a different world. So in this day and age, you're incriminating yourself. That shows that you're not from the street. Because and and another thing that baffles me about rappers is this. Like I actually was in jail. Everybody in their mother knows that. I'm not bragging about that. I'm not proud of that. No. There was nothing to be happy about since I've been home. I've never, ever, ever went back to jail. Hmm. only only uh myths and false narratives say that. Omega kept going back and forth to jail, blah blah, that was bullshit. You know that, Jay, because you know me. but I've never been back to jail. So how is it me, a guy that really was really was in the street, that really was active, that really is known for that? I came home, I had an opportunity to do this music and I've never been been back in trouble. And then you got these other guys who weren't from the street. Some of them grew up in good households, had both of their parents or et cetera, et cetera. They become rappers and now they're going to jail. It's weird, it's baffling to me. So I think hip hop, the younger guys, they they need gatekeepers. They need like how the NBA is. When you come in, there's people that give, they give you orientation. There's people that talk to you and try to guide you. I think some of these young rappers need that because it's a shame to see. It's two shames. It's two things that hurt me. I'm not privy to everybody's name. So there was a time when like, back in the days, like say a rapper dies, like the whole industry is like on pause. Everything's still moving, but everybody just stops in their track. Like, cause like, wow, I might not know him, but he's a rapper too. And it's like, we lost 20 hours. You know what I'm saying? Now, so many people die. It's like, they'll be like, yo, Little his name just got killed. And I'll be like, yeah, I heard about that. That was last week, right? And they'll be like, nah, that was today. It's like, so many rappers die right now. It's, I've never seen nothing like it. Like, you'll fill a boardroom with the, with the number of rappers, young rappers that died recently. That's sad. It's like the asphalt is addicted to blood. The asphalt loves drinking these young dudes' blood.
3: Mm.
1: So it's like, what do we do? Labels putting life, life insurance on artists? That's spooky when I heard about that. So when the labels are putting life insurance on the artists, are y'all putting life insurance on the artists for yourself or for the artist family? Mm. So it's like, it's spooky out here and I hope a lot of these young brothers take heed because right now the power has never been in our hands more than it is now like you could become a millionaire easier now than ever there's so many platforms there's so many ways to connect directly to your fans and people are blowing it people aren't even getting to enjoy their youth it's like I cry inside for some of these brothers. I might not even know them, but when they say he's twenty-one or he's thirty, he's such and such. These dudes are young. It's like you don't even understand. You don't even understand life at that age. You think you do. When we when we were teenagers, we thought we knew everything, and then when you get old, you realize I didn't know nothing. So you see brothers die in their twenties. big and pop didn't even make it to, to thirty. So when you, so when you see these brothers now dying. Like at a constant rate, it it makes me sad inside. It makes me, it makes me, uh, it makes me wonder where we're going as a culture, and it makes me glad. That's another reason why I drop jewels in my music, cause 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 it's the knowledge that could save people, especially if you're in the street.
0: You know, you touched on it, but, but I wanted to ask you, you know, you, you said that people are actually having their lyrics used against them in criminal trials. We're seeing that, like, left and right. So can you talk about the balance between keeping it real and, and just playing snitching on yourself?
1: I mean, there's two things that used to bother me that don't bother me anymore. One is be quiet. <laughs> if somebody tells me to be quiet right now, I might do it. You know what I'm saying? Because I might, sometimes the thing that you don't say is the thing that saves you. And mind your business. Mind your business. If somebody tells me to mind my business, I might say thank you. Because hmm. minding my business is why I'm at peace now. Most of the beefs that I had before in the street, conflicts in life, wasn't even my business. It was somebody else's beef or somebody else conflict, and I just got involved. Now i on my business. So if somebody has beef, That's the, I don't eat beef. I'm vegan most of the time. You know what I'm saying? I might cheat with fish once in a while, but not beef. So that beef ain't for me. So mind your business and learn to be quiet. And those are two things that a lot of people should do in their music. Uh, a lot of people have to attach themselves to street figures for notoriety because they're not really street. And and when you're from the street, you can see it in their eyes, you can smell it, you can see it like, he ain't really about that life, but he's associated with people that are. And that makes people feel safe. But at the same time, it's almost like inviting vampires to your house. Inevitably, you're going to get bit. So you uh, you associate with people that are knee deep into a life that you never was in and when the consequences come you find yourself knee deep in trouble with them and then all of a sudden they just want to be rappers or Mm -hmm. I wasn't doing that, I'm just this and this that, by then it's too late so it's like just be yourself like I got dudes that are I got friends that I got friends that are in jail now For bodies. I got friends that came home. Some of them did 25 years, some of them did 27 years for for murder. I got friends that are drug dealers. All of this, not one, as I'm speaking this to you, there's no proudness of it and there's no glorification in my tone. If you ask anybody that's in jail that's doing life sentences, how they feel about that. One thing's for sure that's gonna be consistent is regret. Only person I know that might not regret it, only person that I know that's in jail that don't regret it is if you got a little bit of time and you're homeless. Like there's some people that have nowhere to stay. So they'll go to jail. They might be an immigrant from another country. You get three hot, you get three meals and and a place to stay for free in jail. So some people live better in jail than they do in in third world countries. That's why some people come to America and they say these jails like uh, you know, they love it. Those people don't regret, don't regret it. And well, somebody that does a crime of vengeance, maybe, maybe something happened to somebody in the family. You know, I know a man who took who took people out, who took a life, cause that because that man took somebody's life that was dead to him, and he has no regret about it. Those are the only people that don't regret it. But those people that had a simple argument and you end up changing the dynamics and not your life, not only your life, but the person whose life you took and not only your family, but his family, those people regret it. And you got these other people glorifying that and they ain't about that life. They never been to jail. I've been to jail when I came home to to, to visit. I've been on, I've been to Rikers Island to do shows before. And I've seen street rappers that was a little shook when we got to Rikers Island. I won't say names to throw nobody under the bus, but yeah, I'll never forget that. Cause that made me look at that person a little different. I'm like, wow, you know what I'm saying? But, but you know what you glorify could haunt you. So glorify peace, like be yourself. You can never plan yourself being yourself. So, so, you know, the young brothers just gotta—they gotta look at uh, how far we came and how easy it is for them now. Mm -hmm. So we walk, we walk long, hard roads for them to walk the easy path. Just enjoy that easy path because that's how it is in every in every. every lifestyle and everything like what what came before you had to endure more so you could enjoy these moments enjoy these moments it makes me proud when I see young rappers I said this before in an interview even if I don't dig their music sometimes like you might be on social media or you might yeah mostly on social media and they'll show you a clip and, and, and you might see a uh an a artist that just bought his mom a house or bought his mother a car, or do something, you know what I'm saying, something very constructive and productive. That right there, I don't care if you're the worst rapper in the world. When you do that, you it's like a gold star to me. It's like, I salute that. So why not keep doing that? Let's build, let's build, let's buy back communities, let's buy blocks up, let's, let's like support other people's dreams. Every crew got somebody that, that everybody has a talent. Every single person in the world the reason why some people don't reach their, reach their dream is because they don't stick their arm out. To, they, they, you know what I'm saying? They got their arms folded. They too cool to try to chase their dreams. So they want to latch onto yours. And, and that's another reason why rap is like it is. So many people want to rap because it looks easy. They see the videos. And if you watch a video, you think it's easy. But when I bring people to the studio, there's been many times I brought people to the studio and they were bored. Because it's not like they've seen in the video. It's not girls dancing in the video and a bunch of uh, alcoholic drinks and weed all over the place. It's hard work. It's that word that we all use, sweat equity.
3: Mm.
1: And they're not built for that. They don't want that. They don't want the hard work. They want the results. And that's why we're in this place we're in now.
2: You, um, we spoke a moment ago about the relationship between American Beauty and Her Name. You have another update on here. The saga resumes. And mm-hmm. As I told you, you know, the saga was always my standout moment on the realness. Wow. Um, and that, that original song was so vivid and so painful when you said, I wish I could say I wasn't hustling no more. That lyric, you know, um, this time you say, because of rhyming, I ain't hustling no more similar to what you just said. Mm -hmm. And that lyric is hopeful and inspiring and powerful. How does that evolution feel to kind of say that now and be so empowering?
1: It feels beautiful. It feels beautiful. It feels like um, evolution. It's evolution. It feels... Like, I could give somebody hope.
3: <laughs>
1: um, I could give somebody hope. Because I'm going to tell you something. Like, when I when I was young, when I was a teenager, people like Michael Jordan and Mike Tyson um, were heroes to us. But so were like the Apples and the rich porters and the supreme team and the supreme magnetics and you know those people were iconic to me so when i was young and when i was in the street i don't think i seen like sometimes when you sit down you don't have a view of you don't have the clearest view of what's really up or beyond your scope of, of vision. In other words, when you're sitting on the benches in the, in, the, in the projects, you're in the confines of those buildings. You don't see past that. And once you see past that, it's like, wow, there's a whole world out here. So in the saga, presumes, it's like, it's showing evolution. It's showing hope. It's showing growth. And it's showing Like, uh, this is realness. And the beautiful thing about that song is I had to get the same producer from the first line. Like, her name is a different, I mean, I produced American Beauty, but I didn't produce her name. That track spoke to me, so I did it. But this song, Saga, I said I have to get the original guy, Big Ty, and let him do this. Because he brings a certain sound to it. And the sound that he brings, brings something out of me, a vulnerability, a truth, uh, a connection. And I wanted that. And I wanted, as as part of the evolution, the production has evolution as well, because you can hear the saga in this. This reminds you could tell this song is related to the saga as soon as you hear it. It sounds like it, but it's different it's like they're in the same family so this is one of my favorite songs also I I, I agree with you on that
2: I mean and this is the song that contains the sweat equity lyric and I'm curious you know we we've talked about it but in looking back at the last you know 25 damn near 30 years what's the biggest challenge you've overcome And, and maybe it goes before that just as a personal challenge biggest challenge I've overcome
1: wow there's so many one uh i could tell you a couple um in the industry i don't want to sit at the table because if you sit at the table with people that you're not comfortable with you can't really enjoy your meal you know what i'm saying um i don't want to fit in and i don't want to try to make people like me i want to spend my time appreciating the people that do like me and being mutually and reciprocal being mutual in respect and reciprocal in energy to people that have good energy with me and not focusing on the others that's that's one of my main things in the industry and um I don't follow trends, but I've never really done that. So that's one of the biggest changes I made with that. But in my personal life, letting go. Like, in my personal life, there's, there's been people that I really had love for, like, really love. And it's, like, almost like your love, your love get taken for granted. Almost like they're playing with your love, taking it for weakness. And I was vulnerable to people that I had love for for a long time, like, I gotta have love for somebody because they used to be close with me and that love might not be reciprocated. It might not be mutual. Their energy might be off, but I still show love and I realized I was playing myself. And now that I realize I was playing myself, I don't do that no more. Their problems ain't my problem and I can love you from a distance if there's even love. Some people are just I just, you're just somebody I used to know. Mm -hmm. So, and that's how I found my peace. So now in my personal life, if somebody has a problem with me, that's their problem. It's not a, it's not a joint problem because if I'm not entertaining, it's not my problem. You know what I'm saying? If you have an issue with me, but I don't know you or I barely associate with you or you haven't seen me in numerous, numerous years, your issue is not with me, <laughs> you know. What I'm saying because I'm not even outside. I wasn't even that active. I'm just starting to get active again. As you know, I had my daughter all those years. I barely came outside, so I wasn't in people's face. I wasn't. I'm not. I wasn't starting trouble with nobody. I wasn't flexing on nobody. I wasn't making nobody feel less about themselves. So anybody that really had issue with me over old stuff is just petty, or insecure who needs to work on themselves but it's like if I'm looking this way if I'm moving forward I'm not trying to look back because if I look back I might miss what's ahead of me so y'all stay back there and I'm moving forward so that's how I those are the the biggest changes in my life you know so I'm just that's how I found peace I love who love me and whoever don't love me it is what it is I respect your decision because you have the you have that right to feel how you feel, and life goes on.
0: You know, one of the lines, another one of the lines that spoke to me in this song was, "Dreams are easily attained when a man awakens." You know, so what is it that keeps people asleep, and 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 how do they snap out of it?
1: Some people get some people like to sleep because sometimes they that bed. Sometimes the covers, the covers get real comfortable, and some people have the opportunity. We all know people like this. Opportunity knocks, right? It's opportunity knocks. Some people are so comfortable. That's why I say get out of your comfort zone. Some people are so entrenched in their comfort zone when opportunity knocks they don't even want to answer the door yo yo see who that is (laughs) your man answers the door and he sees the opportunity then you jump out of bed because your man got the opportunity you mad because he got the opportunity but it was knocking it was there for you but you didn't you didn't seize the moment so that's one of the problems that i see with people um, dreams are easily attained when a man awakens you know what I'm saying so uh, the dream is the idea the dream is the idea once you, once, once you wake up and you get dressed you put it in motion some people don't want to do that
0: You know, another thing you said on What's Understood, which I think relates to this, is starve distraction and feed focus consistently. Mm, So, you know, what are some of the worst distractions you see today?
3: Distractions.
1: Other people's business. Mm -hmm. Lack of discipline. Lack of discipline is one of the biggest distractions. Perfect example. You could be having a serious conversation with somebody. Depends on who the person is, their mentality. You could be having a we with we're, we're, we're three guys on the, that we're, we're talking right now. So we've all seen this before. You could be having a serious conversation with somebody, and a very attractive woman walks by, and somebody in the group that you're with is going to stop what they're doing and focus on the woman. They might look at a red end. They might look at her body. They they lost focus. What y'all talk about means nothing right now because they're caught in that moment so that's a distraction other people's business is a distraction in other words you might be doing good you might be doing good Ste- steady the course like you got to understand in business most businesses don't take off immediately like mcdonald's wasn't mcdonald's most uh successful food franchise in the world but they wasn't always like that so you build it up and so
3: some people some people uh I also so deep I thought I lost myself.
0: Yeah. That's funny because I was about the next question I was gonna ask you is, you know, the, the other part of that is is staying focused. You know, how do you maintain your focus? Do you meditate? Like how, how do you maintain your focus?
1: All right. Focus, it depends on what it is. Um, Focus goes back to the last question too, to distractions. You minimize your distractions. Um, TV that much? I barely watch TV at home. I might watch TV if I'm at a friend's house and then watch TV. I might, all right, let's watch TV. Um, I don't play video games. I have a PlayStation Four at my house, not five. I have four. Only reason I have a PlayStation Four is because I bought it for my son when he was coming over one Christmas time, and he was excited about it, so I went and bought it. Other than that, I, I, I things that are not priority will not be prioritized, Stay the course. So it's like if I have to write a, a, a album. I'm gonna to stay to myself. I might not even see my friends. There's people that I, that I love to death that I don't, that I haven't seen in years. I'm sitting here thinking, I don't, my man Snoop from Fort Green, that's family. I don't even know the last time I seen him. My, it was over a year ago, so I gotta go see him soon. My man Don, mom, some of my people from Queens, but some of my people from Far away. some of my people from the Bronx, I haven't seen in years. With this album, I buried myself into my books and into my, into the studio. So that's focus right there. Knowing, knowing what the end result, knowing the end result you want, you know what I'm saying? And staying, staying the course. So, you know, such having a party or this and this and this and that. It's like, uh, I'm looking this way, but, you know, if I focus on this, then what about this? So it's like those things, just stay focused, stay the course, stay the course. That's my secret with, with, with life, period, like with, whatever I'm trying to do. The, the less distractions, the more focus. So focus is what separates people trying to do things with the people that are doing things.
2: The, the realness, too, you know, has a really unique sound and some noteworthy, noteworthy producers, including Alchemist, Large Professor, Shamani XL, Harry Fraud, Havoc, Street Runner, Domingo, so on and so forth. And in all that music, it, it really fits. Um, but it doesn't sound like what I've heard on any other artist's album. So I'm curious for you, what did you tell your musical collaborators you wanted in terms of the sound? I usually don't
1: tell them nothing. As far as when I was making a Brilliance 2, the first thing I do when I'm making an album is, I get beats, right? And if I get some dope beats, I get excited. I get excited like, when, like I used to get excited over sneakers and stuff like that, or like, you know, you know how we are, classic cars, things like that excite us. Beats do the same. So let's just say a producer sends me a, a dope beat. I get hype. I'm like, oh, wow. Like, you know what I'm saying? like, Say I got a dope beat right now somebody just sent me. As soon as this interview is over, I'm cutting the phone off. Or I'm getting right to it. Or I might just start writing in the phone if I don't got a book. So it's like when I first got those first beats for The Realness 2, I was like, all right. I wrote a song. I write a couple of songs. And then sometimes uh, you're trying to figure out the direction of the album. Like, all right, I got these joints. Let me see what else I need. Boom, boom, boom. And then there's always a point in the album when there's a certain song that just sets the tone for how the rest of the album is going to go. And with this album, it was the intro. Once I got the intro, I was like, all right, now this is raw. This could compete with the first realness intro. So once I put that piece there and I had some of the other songs now I started listening to the songs that we had. And I and I had to screw This album, I had to make tough decisions that I never made in my life. Um, my man, Jay Love is not on this album. He was on the first realness. He was a big part of the first realness. He's a big part of my life. That's my man. He didn't even make the album. And that wasn't something I was happy about. You know what I'm saying? Um, the beat that he gave me, the beats that he gave me, they weren't consistent. They weren't compatible with what I had. And I guess I could use those for something else, but even now I'm still trying to get him on remixes or something. But, I totally didn't make the album. Mm-hmm. And me and him sound dope together. You know, um, Godfather Dawn didn't make the album. And he rarely comes out. When he makes an appearance, it's a beautiful, and the beat that he sent me was dope. So hopefully I can use that for something else. You know what I'm saying? So I had to make those tough decisions. And like I said, once the intro came, I knew where I wanted to go because the intro got that energy. And I knew how I wanted to orchestrate it, you know what I'm saying? I knew how I wanted to orchestrate the album. So then, I'm going to tell you what I did, being that I know how producers are. Some producers, all producers that are real producers, take great pride in themselves. And they have respect for their peers if their peers are dope, right? So, this is what I did. So when it got to a certain point in my album, shout out to Havoc was, per- was one of the first people on the album. And his beat was fire. So he did a sent century- you. I had a sent you in the stash for a minute. So I had that. And I had a couple of other joints. Some of them didn't even make the album. Or I changed the beat for whatever reason, right? So once I had a few songs done, I said, now, um, I did my due diligence. I was trying to get as many producers as possible from the first runners, right? I do my due diligence. I get four of those guys. They make the... fight different people that wasn't unreal realness. Now, the way I shaped this album was this. You got Street Runner who I have a beautiful chemistry with. You know, I did a whole mega EP with him and we have other songs that's unreleased. We just work well together and that's a beautiful human being. He's a dope person. You know, and uh, shout out to his partner Tyreek Azuz. Um, he he's a, he's a collaborator. He's amazing, also. So, being that I did an album with him and the EP with him, and then the last whole album I did was with Lord Professor. I said it only makes sense to bring them on board because our chemistry and our recent chemistry. Instead of chasing nostalgia, you know what I'm saying? So I got those two guys on board, right? So now I got those two guys uh, plus the plus the four from the original realness. So that was six. But with Lord professor, I'm going to tell you what I did with Lord professor. He's one of the best coaches you could have. So he'll tell you somebody beats suck. You might think it's good and he'll tell you it suck. He'll tell you your rhyme sucks or you got to do it over and you'll think it's good. Like, but you need that. Unless, you, unless, you, unless you're insecure, you don't got thick skin. But if you could take criticism, he's a great person to have on your team. So I knew my album was special uh, when I played it for him. And I was playing them joints, and he wasn't shooting nothing down. He's like, mmm, you know how large it is. And he was like, oh, okay, okay, okay. And then it was like, next song, next song, next song. And he was like, mm. so he So he didn't give me a bunch of beats. He knew what he wanted for this album. So the joint that he made, it was like, nah, this is it, mega. It wasn't no ifs, ands, debates about it. He wasn't giving me no more beats. That was it. And it was like, it was difficult to write to that, too. That rhyme, that song probably took me the longest out of the whole album to write. Because I had to really sit with it like, damn. All right. And then I told myself, don't give up. Like, if it's difficult, don't just quit. Because it's difficult. He's taking the easy way out. Don't do that. So I pushed myself, and that came. So once that was done, I knew how producers are. So once he heard some of the joints, he created that joint. Now, once that was done, I said, I gotta go, I gotta get Harry Ford on the album. So uh I played some joints for Harry. And that, once Harry seen the direction that the album was going in, he said, Oh, okay. And Harry cooked up. Mm-hmm. Now, I gotta give a shout-out to Harry during this interview. Like usually when uh an artist does a song, we might have a demo. And then the uh the producer mixes the song, right? So typically you might get a mix on the song. Or maybe you want to change something. You might get four mixes, three mixes, something like that, right? Harry was so dedicated. You know what I'm saying? And shout out to his engineer Sparks, too. You know what I'm saying? Because obviously they both had to had to do that. Yo, I promise you, Harry mixed the song more than any producer I've ever scene like usually when you get song back from the producer, like like he'll say mix two, like if it's if that's the second mix or take you know three or take four. Harry mixed this song twenty one times, twenty one. So I gotta I gotta I gotta salute that dude because he cares about his sound. He takes pride in it, and he wanted his effort to to it be felt a lot of producers are lazy they wouldn't do that
0: a musical so, Harry fraud yeah
1: yeah you know what i'm saying yeah. and that's why i ended the album with that that was mm-hmm. that was the perfect ending and anyway
0: yeah so you know on once and for all you said self determined the question everything. everything in life uh you know i'm a questioner myself you know but what do you think are some of the most important things people should be questioning these days
1: in life, I think people should be questioning who they are. What is my purpose? Uh, what is my purpose in life? That's a question everybody should ask because everybody has a purpose. Don't try to dim somebody else's light. Turn yours on, match their light. And if, you, if both of y'all are lit in the room, then the room is brighter. Um, everybody should question what their purpose is. We should also question truth. How much truth are we getting from society? Who's with us? Who's playing with us? Um, America, we should be questioning why is there only Democrat and Republican? There's so many power parties Why do we give so much power to these two powers? How to these two? Why why do we give so much power to these two um, parties that don't really benefit us? And why can't they just merge and do something that's in the best interest of the people? So these are questions. These these are things we should question, like why why are things the way it is? Why, when I go to New York City, there's so much garbage on the street, Uh, but that's one of the richest cities. Mm -hmm. Why is there so much homeless people in the street? Why are we giving so much money, billions? to other countries when we could be uh fixing our own with that same money. So things we should is ourselves and infrastructure, um, our purpose. Are we fulfilling um are we fulfilling our, our, our dreams? Because everybody had dreams when they was younger. With your, younger, with your younger, you'll be proud of yourself. That's a real, that's a deep question. So those, those are some of the questions that we should be asking ourselves.
2: On Paradise, you call yourself a smooth street poet, the culture needed. And I think that's a brilliant resume. That's a brilliant bio blurb, you know, for what fans, including myself, have, you know, visualized you. And, and I think you've undoubtedly filled a void since your career began. But with that said, I mean, whether music, whether fashion, whether life, are there certain like beacons of light that have been inspiring to you to move you strongly in any one direction to to become that individual?
1: There's so many people that inspire me in life, various different people from different walks of life. Um. I grabbed something from from a multitude of people, whether it's Warhol, Basquiat, Richard Pryor, you know, uh, people that are lyricists, there's so many to name, Um, Rihanna, her style, fashion sense. Kanye's uh, boldness. Um, and his sophisticated non-give-a-fuck, you know what I'm saying? Um, his bravery. Remember, he did an interview years ago and he was like saying how much money he's going to make. and And, you know, his aspirations were so high to some people that his aspirations became a joke to them because they couldn't see that. Like Nas said in that song, sky's not the limit, it's just the view. Mm. So people had different views. So Kanye is very inspirational to me. Virgil Abloh. Um, April Walker.
3: Mm.
1: Um, Right, you.
3: Dayton.
1: Muhammad Ali. Malcolm X, my kids. So there's so many people that inspire me, influence women, the women that shaped me, whether it was family or relationship. I grabbed something from all of that. Like, you know what I'm saying? A woman, women, give you something different than than your male comrades could give you. Um, so I just grabbed something for everything. You know what I'm saying? My father, you know, my father at one time, you know, he was uh, caught up in, life caught up with him, but he got his life together. So I'll take, I learned from that, and I learned, from, I learned from his pitfall and from his rise. So I take something from everybody. I could see a homeless person sitting down. I could be walking the street and see a homeless person and not just look at that person because in my mind, I'm like, he wasn't always like that. At one time, he was a happy kid in school, playing with his friends, having the same aspirations, ambitions, hopes, fun, and then something went wrong somewhere. So I look, everybody has a story. Everybody is... We're all passing lights, all of us. We're all flickers of light. In the grand scheme of the universe, we're all flickers of light. And flickers don't last long. So, look, crazy thing is 100 years from now all all three of us will be dead (laughs) you know what i'm saying so what do we do in that time that we're here and these are questions that you got to ask yourself as a human being do you want to live or do you want to exist um do you want to go to the beach Footprints in the sand of life. And I want to leave footprints a lot. You know what I'm saying? And so I think, uh, yeah, I think that like, I just broke down. I get inspiration from everything. Some people's journey is my, uh, some people's journey is my uh, detour. Hmm. Cause you might've went to hell. Or you might have went through hell. And I see what you went through to get to hell. I don't want to go that route. That's why I never use those those crazy drugs. Not because I think I'm better than people or because I'm invincible or because I'm smarter than everybody. No, I never use drugs because I've seen what it did to great people. I've seen people that wore suits to work and had executive positions or women that were, you know, had status or class and dignity, I've seen drugs reduce them to lows that that they were later ashamed of. And if it could do it to them, it could do it to me. So that's why I, I never use drugs and that's why I don't do certain things. And some people don't understand that. Some people look at you. Sometimes I make people uncomfortable. As a rapper, when you think about it, when I show up to meetings in in, per- in person, like Chuck Creekmore will tell you, or, or some other people, like sometimes I show up and I'll be like, uh, "Sorry for being on time," you know, <laughs> because right, you know rappers be like two hours late <laughs> and stuff like that. Like this interview started at seven. By the time I got in, it was like seven o two. But that really, as you know from from early in this interview, my Wi Fi was bugged out. Right. If it was working perfectly, I'd have been on. So in two minutes. Like, so I take inspiration out of everything that answers that question.
0: You know, Barry, I was at a show um, a few years back and Barry Gordy got an award. You've been talking a lot about dreams and vision. You know, he got the visionary award at this show and he got on stage. And I'll never forget this. He said, being a visionary is proving to the world that you're not crazy. Hmm. How does that statement hit you?
1: I agree with him. I I said, I was saying, I said, innovators are often met with resistance. Mm. So I can relate to what he's saying. Even when you think of uh, some stories we might have heard as a youth, whether they were real stories or not. How many people thought, how many people laughed at Noah when he was building that boat? Mm. But when the flood came, everybody wanted to get on that boat. So it's like, that that is true a visionary is definitely proving to people that you're not crazy because when you try to do the unthinkable people say you're crazy Ali said I'm the greatest he said that before <laughs> he said that before he even did half of the amazing stuff and people thought it was so far-fetched that they thought he was crazy and now we call him the greatest mm-hmm. Um. Sometimes when you have an idea that people don't understand, they ridicule it or they think you're crazy. When I said I was going independent, people thought I was nuts. People was laughing at me, literally laughing at me. I keep note. Like, you, you'll never front on me. And if you ever fronted on me, i remember you. Trust me. You know what I'm saying? So when I first went independent, oh, my God, I heard it all. I heard it all. I heard it all. I heard there's some guy, there's one guy, I won't say his name. He's a fucking big, he's a big deal. So he said, uh, independence for people that nobody wanted. Mm-hmm. Or something like that. I was like, wow. When I was told that he said that. Because he was trying to persuade somebody else not to go independent. And I was like, wow, I'm surprised he said that. I was surprised. Uh, You know, people thought I was crazy. Or people was like, <laughs> yeah, like, you know. Oh, you're going to go independent, and then you're going to try to get a deal after that? And I was like, hell no. Like Once I was independent, and I, and I was got the fruits of my labor, but I un- understood it, there was no need for me to want to get a deal again. It made no sense to me. So when you do something different, nobody understands it until it starts popping. You know what I'm saying? So... You guys can relate. Ambrosia for is a fucking dope ass name. I'm, I guarantee you somebody thought that was crazy when you first came up with it. <laughs> for so, sure.
2: <laughs> for you sure. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Big fact. Apologies for the dog barking in the background, but I. It's like. Yeah, man. It sure is. And I wanted to ask you about White Roses. And, you know, a version of that song, a shorter version, first appeared on our mutual friend, Shaw Money XL's album, Chain on the Bike 2 a mm-hmm. couple years back and that verse and, and you had actually sent me that verse was about biggie tremendous wordplay amazing concept mm-hmm. the version on the realness too as a second verse that's about wu tang was that always the plan
1: yeah because that was a marketing plan too that was like a subliminal sometimes you do subliminal stuff like Shaw money was doing a um a compilation album right and at the time he wanted me to get on the album, and uh, I was just—I was in such a zone. I declined around 30 features. No no cap. I declined around 30 features in the last couple of years. Um, but Shaw Money XL, that's my boy. I can't say no to him. So he wanted me to do something, and I said, let me think of a way to make it make sense, because I was in a zone. I didn't want to stop what I was doing. So I said, you know what? I got an idea. I said, I got this song. And I said, I broke it down to him. I said, we'll use half of the song on your project. Cause it's like like he needed the verse quick. Mm-hmm. And on the right sometimes. And I, I didn't want to miss his project. So I gave him that song. It was his beat, but I did, I did the, uh, the vocals of that song. And I said, I'll do the other version on my album. We'll have this one on your album next to two. So it made perfect sense. And, um, it's funny because that's one of the earlier joints that I had. I had that song for a while too. Um, I let a lot of people hear that song too. Um, and the feedback was crazy from that song. Like, that's one of the songs, like, as an artist, I think it's kind of like, whenever you collect something, not like cars or something, because you never forget a car, unless you live in, unless you're one of those guys in Dubai. But and when you, sometimes you collect certain things, you might forget you have it, because you got so many. Or... So when I was doing this album, there were songs that I did that was just there. I forgot about them. Not forgot, but they was there. So I was focused on the new stuff. And that song right there is a song that I underestimated. Cause like when people heard the big part, they blew. It, was, it blew their mind. But then when they heard the uh, woo part, some people was like, yeah, "That's better than the first part." And I was like, "Get out of here!" It is like because I had that song in the stash, so I didn't know. It would grab people the way, and I played it for like critic, critic yeah. people, like people that be like, "That's whack or like, you know what I'm saying. So, Nas one of the people that heard that, Um large pro, a lot of people. So, shout, to money.
2: I'm curious huh? to ask though, like you know, it it's Biggie and it's Woo, and there's history there, both both you know, controversial, and obviously you know, life after death has risen production on it, and and you know, he made good with a lot of those guys. There's no third verse, so I'm curious mm-hmm. to ask you as a man of thought and concept, why those two? Okay.
1: Who else could it be? Hmm. Like, only other person I could have did a verse like that about. Like, Wu-Tang is the biggest. I told somebody this uh, recently. When they say, what's the greatest group? In rap, um, Wu Tang is going to be in the conversation. Me, myself, I don't really look at Wu Tang as a group. I look at them as a collective. Because uh, RZA came out by himself first. You know, I think Jizzo, too, maybe. You know what I'm saying? I think Wu Tang is the greatest collective ever in the history of rap. I think the greatest group is Run-DMC. You know what I'm saying? Lyrically this is a whole different conversation, but Run-DMC kept the lights on when 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 the world was about to cut the lights off from rap. When it was a fad, when it was like okay, we're not going to take rap serious, Run-DMC and, you know, some of those early guys they filled stadiums. They crossed us over would Walk This Way. They 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 they, they, you know, they had endorsement deals with, when it was unheard of. Mm-hmm. Like there's nothing like them. They said they call themselves the Beatles for a reason. So, so when I did White Roses, I broke down the Biggie verse, and that was that, right? So obviously, the next thing would have been Pac, but I already got an unreleased song when I'm talking to Biggie and Pac, mm. and I didn't want to be redundant or predictable. So then I said, I thought of who else impacts, or oh, that's great, that people could relate to. And I said, let me break down the wool in, in the verse. So I did that. I tested it out and, and it worked. And um, my man uh, Inspector Deck did an ad lib on it. You know what I'm saying. So shout out to the Wu. Rest in peace, the Big. Shout out to Big Boy. I said Big Boy. Shout out to her uh, bad boy, and uh, shout out to the whole Wu movement. You know what I'm saying.
0: How do you go about constructing a song like that? I mean, obviously you're a fan, you got knowledge, but like to get all those references, do you like go through the entire catalog, write down the work? Like, how do you even like approach it?
1: Well, the Wu, the Wu verse was easier for me. That's why when people be like, yo, that verse is better than the other one, I'd be, I was in like I was like almost in denial or in disbelief because I didn't, because it was so easy, it came to me so easily that I didn't think people would think it was better than the first verse. So the woo verse was easy for me. All I had to do was think of everybody in the wool. And I had to do it in a way that wasn't corny. So you gotta be creative with it and be witty with it. And then it's like when you really got a respect for something you're going you're gonna to lay it out the right way. You're going to put some respect on it. And I got respect for the wool. So that verse was actually easy to me. It was kind of like I was freestyling. The biggie one, that verse was more difficult because I had to think of, I had to be precise with the song titles. And and I had to be creative with it. You know what I'm saying? So that part was more difficult to me than the wool one, but it all came together so perfectly. And then in the middle, I intentionally left it like, I ain't put no chorus, I left it there just so you can catch what you just heard and, and think. Like it's a conversation piece. And then it goes into the next verse. Cause nobody, once you hear that Biggie verse, you're not knowing what to expect after that. And then all of a sudden we come with that. Mm-hmm. So that was a fun moment right there.
0: Yeah. So we got just a couple more questions for you, but you know, on grand scheme, Mm. You say in the grand scheme of things, what a success. Quality of life means nothing to death. You know, we already mm. talked about we're not gonna be here for a hundred in a hundred years. But you know, with that said, what is success to you? Success
1: isn't the eye to beholder. Because I I know like I don't know how to swim. If I learn how to swim, this summer, I said I'm going to learn how to swim, but I didn't. I didn't barely go to the beach. When I learned how to learn how to swim, I'm going to feel like I succeeded in that. Uh, when I learned how to ride a bike as a kid, that was success for me. Um, success is what is you maximizing on a value as opposed to another person's view of success. So you will drive yourself crazy trying to trying to pamper yourself with another person's view of success. Some people's view of success is money. And then, now I'm in a place in life where I have friends that are wealthy. I ain't talking about rich. I'm talking about wealthy. I'm talking about, yo, mega. I'm coming to get you in a jet. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like that type of shit. So, and Wealthy people, they look at life different. They look at money different. I know a guy that's that's very well off. He wears Wranglers, and I and and I'm not talking about the Wranglers. Like there's Wranglers that actually are expensive, like the ones the Cowboys rider said. I'm talking about the ones you can get in Walmart. He wears those, but his house looks like something out of Casablanca, one of those old black and white castle mansion looking houses. Mm. So success is. You maximizing on something that you want, that you're trying to see. You might, you might meet the girl of your dreams and marry her. That's success right there. Actually being married and having a successful marriage, having a good marriage is a success. I give you a perfect example of somebody that's successful. I'm going to name two rappers that are successful. And I admire them. Styles P., And Noriega. Noriega just celebrated his birthday, but he also celebrated his wedding anniversary. And Styles P and his wife, that's like my favorite. That's one of my, that might be my favorite couple. Mm. So that is success. Like you find a life partner, somebody that you can build with, somebody that you do everything with, and y'all happy. That's success. Um, Living your dream. That's just it. I wake up in the morning. Every day I wake up, I mean, every single one of us, every single person that's breathing is successful. you succeeded in living another day. Every day that I wake up is different from like, oh, let me start my day. Sometimes I wake up and I'll be like, I'm just thankful as soon as I wake up that I'm still here. So what is success? You know, in the grand scheme of things, what is success? Hmm. Quality of life means nothing to death. Do be worth $30 billion dollars, but the reaper's not gonna give you a pass. When he said, come with me, you're gonna come. You're gonna come with him, just like the broke broke person did.
0: You know, um, I've I've talked a lot about the jewels you dropped on this album, been asking you about those throughout the conversation. There's one that had me scratching my head though. You know, so on Man Versus Myth, you talk about how, you know, if the Knicks have moved differently, Uh, Bernard King, Rod Strickland, and Patrick Ewing, you really think they could have taken the 90s Bulls? Hell yeah.
1: (laughs) I'm going to tell you why. (laughs) Hell yeah. Because first of all, they almost did it. If Charles Smith didn't miss those layups, you're talking about a win right there. Bernard King wasn't missing those layups. Um Patrick was dominant and Strickland was they called him point guard, G-O-D, not guard. So if they would allow those three to mesh, oh my god. I mean, look, look, I mean, when you think about it, we was having success against them and we didn't really have a certified elite point guard. We had hard working. We had Blue Collar. We had Derek Harper. He's Blue Collar. Blue Collar, hardworking, sturdy point guard. But he wasn't Ron Strickland. You know what I'm saying? If we had Ron Strickland and Bernard during some of those years, I mean, it's probably the biggest smile I had during the whole interview. You You know what I'm saying? Like, forget about it. Like, forget about it. And Ross Strickland might be my favorite NBA player, period. You know what I'm saying? I just love I love Ross Strickland. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, if we'd have got the if we had those three together, oh my God, forget about it. We could be on here different days talking about that. Uh, <laughs>
2: so so the same song, I have a little bit of a deeper question and then we'll let you go, Mega. But um, you know, on Man vs. myth, you rap about pe- people bartering with death for a comfortable living and then moments before you say, I did wrong to get right. I sense that those are two very different concepts and getting right, isn't always money. You allude to it in the lyric that this came through hindsight. I'm curious to know, was there a turning point or was there a moment of clarity in your life where you understood the journey that sometimes you do have to do wrong to get right? Uh, That's a great
1: question for one, but two, I don't think you have to do wrong and do right because ultimately it's a choice. It's about accepting that you did wrong. It's about accepting it and not making excuses because as somebody that's really from the street, somebody that really been through it, I've heard all the excuses. I've heard people say, you know, yo, man, you know, I'm speaking like in, in uh. It's not me, I'm speaking as if I'm somebody else right now. You know, um, yo, you know, I got a conviction, the system ain't gonna, you know, system, you know, I ain't gonna be able to get a job or this or that, this or that. People make excuses. Um, meanwhile, I know a guy that did 27 years, he came home, college graduate, got a great job, got an apartment, you know what I'm saying? So it's like sometimes we do wrongs. Or we'll say like hustling so I could feed my family. Certain people will say that, but was you really hustling to feed your family or was you hustling to feed your ego? Because you could do you could do it and get out of it. And some people don't do it and get out of it. You know what I'm saying? They keep they stay in it. Because when you really when you when you a real drug dealer, There's two people that are addicted. It's the user and it's the, the dealer you're addicted too you're addicted to the money you're addicted to the to the prestige you're addicted to the power you fiend for it just like the fiend fiends for it the fiend the user fiends for it to get high and you get a different kind of high you get high up the attention high up the status ah. I've weighed those dualities and I've lived it. I've breathed it. I've seen it. Even now, I got friends that's still in the game. I don't condemn them. I'll be a hypocrite to condemn them because I walked in in their path. I might not do what they do, but I don't speak down on them. Or I don't look at them like they're lesser because I understand. And some of them, some of them will either, find a different path or, or they'll stay that path but that's 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 the life that we in you know what i'm saying so we did wrong to get right you know i said in, in hindsight we did wrong to get right get right is a figure of speech like you know what i'm saying like we did wrong to get money but it has a double meaning so you know the way I look at it, it, some of the things that we glorify or that we big up, we was wrong about in the grand scheme of things. If you're looking at life, it's like um, when they say, yo, he busts his gun, you know, or this dude is a shooter. Is that really something that that you're proud about? Can you monetize that? Hmm. Can you monetize that? Can you monetize your reputation, or they'd be like, I've even seen you guys brag about, you know, sometimes I see a guy and they'll be like, they had it locked down when they was in jail, or, you know, I heard somebody say, there's a term, yo, we was living good on, in such and such jail. How are you living good in jail? Mm. You have to squat after every visit. You have to take off your clothes and squat. You miss, you're not around your family. You don't have freedom. You can't take a long nap in the morning. Like you know what, I think I'm just gonna sleep today. No, you, no, you know you're not. You're gonna get up every day. You have to get up for the count, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So it's like some of the things that we glorify, we have to really put a microscope on our mentality. So we did wrong to get right, but in hindsight, our
2: right was wrong. Jules, my final question, Mega. You know. Why is Preparation is Essential the perfect last line for a statement album in your career? I don't know,
1: I don't even know. <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, it definitely seems to me that you prepared for this and, and we've we've gone on, like you said, 20 years of these conversations and the the place that you're in right now, I think, is remarkable, and it certainly shows itself on this album. And you know, I've enjoyed your catalog long before we we knew each other, long before you met Reggie. But I think this is a true benchmark in your in your your career, and it it's, it certainly offers jewels of wisdom to everybody. And what a great sequel, you know. And and I didn't think that was uh, I thought all the great sequel albums were already made. So shout out to you. I think I really appreciate that, especially coming from you.
0: Yeah, this is uh, one of my favorite albums in your catalog. Uh, oh, my God. Thank round, you, man. Round and round. So thank you. Thank you for the time and thank you for
2: the art. I appreciate you, bro. My man. Absolutely, man. Until well, we speak again. One love, guys. All right. Peace. Peace. Peace.